Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe, whatever you're listening on, YouTube, iHeart, Spotify, Apple, Podnods, whatever platform you're on, hit that subscribe button. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, Ball State Athletics, Paul Habakot. And you might notice uh, down there at the bottom of our screens here, we got Scott Crawford. He's been on the show prior. He's the Director of Operations for the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, and he's in that Canadian Top 100 uh most influential people in baseball up there. So good uh, panelists to have tonight. Our special guests, we're joined by an 11-year MLB relief pitcher. He's with the Orioles and the Dodgers briefly, but is, of course, most known for his nine seasons with the Minnesota Twins. He was one of the best relief men uh, in the business. He had a standout year in 96, going 5-1 and one with six saves and a 3.01 ERA. He's got another season with uh, 24 saves in there. And he has three seasons in the top six for appearances, so they weren't afraid to throw him out there on the mound. It's the Twins' 1992 Rookie of the Year, Mike Chomley. Mike, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. I love doing these Who Was the Best shows, and tonight is the, the greatest World Series winner of the 1980s. And as always, we'll have a Q&A afterwards with Mike about his career. But we're going to start this out with the 1989 Oakland Athletics. Yeah, we got great nostalgia here. Some good 80s and 90s names in this World Series. Really, 80s baseball at its finest with Ricky Henderson, Bash Brothers McGuire and Canseco, Dave Parker, the World Series MVP, Dave Stewart, Dennis Eckersley. Giants had stars too, Kevin Mitchell, Will Clark, Jeff Brantley. But, you know, coming off the year where they got swept by the Dodgers thanks to what looked like a aging softball player and Kirk Gibson hitting this massive – well, barely clearing home run and hobbling around the bases and an on-fire Oral Hershiser. The 89 Athletics finished with a regular season record of 99-63 under Tony La Russa. They finished first in the AL West, and the Giants were almost equally as potent with 92-70 and 70 record. They were first place in the NL West. A couple of stats here for the stat heads. This was the fourth time these two met in the World Series since 1913. It's actually the first time representing California – First three times the two teams met, Giants were in New York, and the A's were representing Philly. So if you look at the dates, it looks like kind of an exciting World Series. It starts on 10-14, ends on 10-28. Looks like it went the full seven games. But it actually only went four games. Oakland swept. And at the time, October 28th was the latest date ever for a World Series, surpassing the 86 by one day. That one went the full seven. So – 
Oakland winning is actually probably the least interesting thing is on 17th of October, about 5 o'clock p.m., prior to the start of game three, the Loma Priata earthquake struck and that damaged the bridge between Oakland and San Francisco, specifically the Cypress Street Viaduct and the uh, bridge's upper deck. Candlestick Park in San Francisco suffered a little bit of damage to the upper deck as pieces of concrete fell from the baffle at the top of the stadium and the power was knocked out, so the game got postponed out of concerns for safety. Everyone at the ballpark left, as well as loss of power, and Vincent said, I don't know when play will resume. So the series did end up resuming on October 27th, finished the next day. None of the games were really within three games, but really think about the odds of this. Those two teams in that World Series, that earthquake at that time, damaging both cities. So was it a great series? No, probably not. Really, can any swept series be a legacy? Uh, but does the sheer odds of the two cities experiencing tragedy, would that make it a legacy or something that we would remember all the time? So everybody remembers that earthquake, of course. Uh, I remember seeing it on TV and, and just being shocked like this had occurred. And the fact that, yeah, those cities are just so close to one another. But, uh, Mike, let me, let me come to you. Um, you know, you can speak about the earthquake if you want, but the, the A's in general, everybody, when you think them, first thing you think is Bash Brothers, but that team had some solid pitching with Dave Stewart, Honeycutt, Eckersley. I mean, they could get it done uh, defensively uh, and pitching, not just with the hitting. Yeah, you know, well, you know, and again, I'm, I, I got some stats in front of me, and it's all not always about stats. What, what jumps out at me is, you know, you look at this team and the names and obviously the wow factor of, of Conseco, McGuire and, and Henderson and the other hand is Dave Henderson and, and, and you know, Carney Lansford. I forget how good Carney Lansford was. But it's interesting. You look at the stats and it's their pitching that took them through. Um, you know, they're first in wins. They're second in the RA. They're first in shutouts and saves, obviously, with Eckersley. And not a lot of offensive categories were they ever first in. None of them. I mean, you think about this, just overpowering teams with this lineup from McGuire and Conseco and, and Ricky Henderson, but it's their pitching that really got it done for them. So, again, my first re gut reaction is the wow factor is this is a pretty darn good team. But then when I start looking at the numbers, I mean, they hit, what, 261 for the season. And, again, this I'm not looking at average translating to wins, but, you know, their error rate was 309 I'm looking back, and I think a couple of years from now, I'll look back at the names that played on this team, like the Dave Parkers. I know uh, Conseco was hurt for the for a good part of the year, and Parker filled in, and you look at this team, and, and as a, a pitcher who wasn't very – not a Hall of Fame member, and by no means was I a great pitcher in the major league realms, I'm looking at this lineup going, I wouldn't want to pitch to him. Uh, so the wow factor is, you know, they're, they're pretty solid. And, and I think that that was a good point about the, the earthquake. It took, and I played with Terry Steinbach in Minnesota, and it really put a damper on the World Series. So I, I look at this team as kind of a forgotten World Series champion and how good they were. And, and looking at this, just the, the stats, the, the pitching was terrific. I mean, golly, solid. You know, it's tough to find a better combined staff over a season than these guys. In the 80s. Brian, Brian, let me ask you. He mentioned Carney Lansford. We know how good he was. Terry Steinbach. I think it was Walt Weiss's rookie year, too, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, Weiss was – yeah, he was with right. them, yeah. So yeah. these guys had not just the All-Stars. They had clutch players, the the, the get-down-and-dirty players that you want. I mean, it, it, is that that's part of what it takes to win a championship, right? 
I mean, you, you really, you see that almost in every World Series. There's always some blue-collar guy that, like, steps up that you really don't expect to, you know, that, that makes a difference. And, and uh, you know, the, the A's had no shortage of those guys, for sure. The Mark Lemkes of the world, man. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. For us born in Pittsburgh, we'll forever remember Mark Lemke. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's move to our second team tonight. That's going to be the 86 Mets. All right, the 86 Mets. Um, uh, they were led by Davey Johnson, uh, 108 and 54 on the season, which is the sixth most wins in Major League Baseball history. Um, they beat the Phillies in the NL East by 21 and a half games, uh, which is which is insane. Um, uh, the seasons before, this team was kind of you know on the cusp of greatness. They in '84 they were 90 and 72, second in the NL East. '85 they were 98 and 64, second in the NL East. Um, they had they made a couple key additions in the offseason. Um, they brought in uh, Tim Tuffle to help out at second base and platoon. And then they also brought in uh, Bobby Huida, uh, a very good left-handed um, uh, starting pitcher. So when you look at the staff, um, you know, picture behind me, uh, first off, you got Dwight Gooden, went 17-6 that year, 200 Ks, uh, 2.84 uh, ERA, just had a wicked, wicked fastball. Uh, Ron Darling, 15-6, and six. Um, he had five pitches that he could, you know, in his repertoire, um, Bobby Ojeda, like I mentioned, 18 and 5, uh, 2.57 ERA. Sid Fernandez, 16 and 6, 200 Ks. Um, and then, they, then you had, uh, Rick, uh, Aguilera. He was 10 and 7. So the staff, you know, top to bottom, really, really good. Out of the bullpen, you had a great combo of two closers. You had Roger McDowell and Jesse Orozco. Each of them, um, had over 20 saves on a season. Um, and then you had a young Randy Myers, who was a fireballer. Um, you know, he got better later on, but he was, you know, even at that point, he was, cl he was clocked over uh, 100 miles an hour on his fastball. Uh, so overall, this staff was ranked first in the league in ERA, second in Ks, and second in fewest walks per nine innings. Um, then you go, you go around the rest of the lineup. Uh, you had the great, great Gary Carter, uh, 24 home runs, 100, 105 RBIs on the year, one of the best catchers of all time. Uh, Keith Hernandez, quiet leader on this team, 83 RBIs, 310 batting average, gold glove. He had Wally Backman at second. He batted 320 on the year. Rafael Santana, uh, he was a good fielding shortstop. Ray Knight, he came up big uh, really often in, in, you know, during this season. Uh, George Foster, he was a veteran. He has power. Um, Lenny Dykstra, and then, of course, Daryl Strawberry, I mean, five-tool player. Uh, really great player there. And then off the, off the bench, you had Mookie Wilson. Uh, we'll get more into him later. Uh, Kevin Mitchell had some power, 12 home runs. Howard Johnson. I mean, well, you got these guys coming off your bench. I mean, that's a really, really deep roster. Uh, they had the most runs scored in the NL, most hits, most walks, and the best batting average in the NL. Um, so really stacked lineup. So we get to what went down in this season. NLCS against the Astros. The Astros had a great pitching staff with Mike Scott, Bob Nepper, Nolan Ryan, uh, but the Mets were able to overcome it. They won the series four to two. Um, uh, they almost had to play a, another complete game because they had uh, games that went into 12 innings and a game that went into 16 innings. Um, and then the World Series against the Red Sox. Uh, we all know how this one went. They went down 0-2. 
They showed a resilience. They took the next two games. Then with their backs against the wall, down 3-2, they won the final two to take the series. Um, game six was epic. I mean, ingrained everybody's memories. Tenth inning, Bob Stanley throws a wild pitch. Uh, then Mookie Wilson's grounder. You know, it goes through uh, um, the legs of Bill Buckner, allowing Ray Knight to score. Uh, the Red Sox, at before that, before that pitch, the Red Sox had a 99% win probability. But, you know, the Mets just refused to lose. Um, Bob Ojeda, he was quoted as saying, we, we, we all knew that we were going to win game seven after what happened in game six. Uh, you know, this was a really fun team, too. I mean, they, they were notorious. We, we know about the drinking. We know about the chasing babes. All, you know, all kind of things were going on, all kind of shenanigans in the clubhouse. Um, it's too much to even talk about. But this was just a, just a legendary team. One that's you know ingrained in our memories that we we'll just never forget. So Mike, I, I look at this team. I don't see any weaknesses. Everybody at some point was an all-star in their career. Just about uh, as far as the starting lineup goes, and those guys who came off the bench. Uh, you know your thoughts on the '86 Mets, the pitching staff, like Brian had mentioned. I mean, you got Gooding, you got Darling. These guys were just fantastic. Ojeda, your, your thoughts on the '86 Mets? Well, you look at 108 wins, and they obviously they were beating some people up pretty good during the season. But I remember that, and again, I came from Red Sox country, so this is not a fun thing to talk about. You know, I'm from, <laughs> from Massachusetts, so it was rough. But, you know, like you said, it, the Mets, uh, I mean, on paper, you're looking at these things and say, of course they won the World Series. Look at the lineup. But I remember this 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 postseason, and in my, in my opinion, one of the top postseasons in history, maybe 1991, uh, but what they had to do to get to the World Series, what they had to do to win the World Series, whether the Red Sox lost or the Mets won, it was just incredible what they did. And you look at the stats. I mean, just looking at the team stats, you know, what they hit and the home runs and stuff like that, they weren't overpowering. They, they weren't knocking the ballpark, the ball out of the ballpark all the time. And, you know, but but with Hernandez and Strawberry and Carter and Knight and Dykstra and Backman, it just goes on and on. And then you got Kevin Mitchell, who wasn't the quite Kevin Mitchell that he became, but the George Fosters, the Kevin Mitchells, the Mookie Wilsons, the Tuffles, the Danny Heaps. I mean, really solid team. And, I mean, you add in Sid Fernandez and Rick Aguilera as really good starters. Like you mentioned, the two closers, they had everything you needed in a team. Other than – that sixth game, I think that actually hurt the Mets, what we're talking about today. I think if they had gone out and won the World Series in five games or something like that, we'd be looking at the Mets completely different because they stumbled a little bit and had a little tough time through the playoffs, which they got it done, give them a lot of credit. They kind of, I think, went down a rung or two in people's minds about how good they were, but this was a solid team. I mean, I, this is a team that you don't want to play. So... Scott, let me ask you, we mentioned the Buckner play. Does that make it maybe feel more like this was a team of destiny? And especially since the fact that they only got one World Series with those people on their teams. I find that shocking. It is. They were, they were obviously such a, such a great team. And it's one of those things where, you know, that, that play is, is, you know, no one expected when it happens. You're like, it, it's got to be. Now, now they're, they're going to win. The next game and and uh, it turned out that way of course you got to play the game you never know but it, it definitely turned out that way and it was uh it's one of the memories that you you know poor bill buckner he had an amazing career but you never forget that play and then 
And then the next game, obviously, they, they took it. Paul, that Buckner play, is it overblown in your mind? It, nothing I can say. It hasn't been exhaustively covered. I think it's unfair. I looked at that replay a million times. He thought the ball was going to do something else, and it didn't. And that could happen to anybody. And I, I think it's unfair. He's a good ball player, man. That's a really good ball player. And I hope that he found peace uh, after that. Big, I think him and Mookie ended up doing, like, book tours and stuff where they would autograph it. But uh, pretty unfair to blame him for that. That wasn't even, like, a game seven or anything like that. Right, exactly. People forget the, the Red Sox lost game seven. All right, let's uh, move on to the 85, Kansas City Royals. Yeah, right. So the good old Royals, first of all, they – of course, being up here in Canada, I'm not overly happy with how the Royals did in the 85 playoffs, but they are a darn good team. Um, they beat our, our Blue Jays, of course, with uh, the help of Mother Nature, we'll, we'll say. Um, but the, uh, the Royals, they, they, they were down 3-1 to the Blue Jays. They were down 3-1 to the Cardinals. Um, and they came back both series and, and won in, in seven. So they, they played 14 games, which was the most um, playoff games of any of these teams. Um, to play 14 games. Uh, you you might consider the, you know, I know we're talking a good the Royals were, but you might consider the Cardinals the team of the decade in the 80s. They were the only team in the World Series three times in the 80s. They were 82, 85, 87. So arguably you could say the Royals beat the team of the decade, um, and which is pretty impressive. The, the Cardinals led the NL with 825 wins in the decade, and the Royals beat them in the World Series. The Royals had the third best record in the 80s in the American League. So you don't necessarily think the Royals is a, a, a good, strong team, but they were the third best team over the whole decade and, and beat the best team of, of the decade in the World Series. You look, the most unique thing about this thing is you look at their uh, their pitching line for the World Series. Their ERA was 1.89 for the series. They only used six pitchers in seven ball games, and they had three complete games. Um, so, so try to work that into any World Series or playoffs, whether it's the 80s or today, when you use six pitchers over seven games, and uh, those, those starting pitchers were just just amazing. You know, they, they it was it sure it went seven games, but the Royals they won eleven nothing. They won six one. They won six one again, and then they won two one. And the games they lost, they lost three one, four two, and three nothing. So they destroyed the Cardinals in three of the games, and three of the losses were all really really close games. So and, and like some of these other uh, series we're talking about, there's always the uh, you know, the unsung hero, Lonnie Smith for the Royals hit 333 in the World Series with a 400 on base. Um, that came out of nowhere. Lonnie Smith's not a 300 hitter uh, for his for his career, that's for sure. But you got Willie Wilson hit 367. George Brett, the Hall of Famer, hit 370. Steve Balboni hit 320. You know, these guys just hit hit the world uh, that series. And, and, of course, I mean, we talked about the pitching area. Right, Brett Saberhagen started two games, completed two games. Danny... Jackson started two games and completed one of the games and pitched seven innings in the other game. So they, they, um, you know, their pitching staff was just on fire against these, these Cardinals. And, 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 you, and you look um, overall comparing all these teams, you look at the 85 Cardinal or the 85 Royals were the second best hitting team. And they were the first, they had the best area out of all these teams we're discussing today. So um, it just really shows that, you know, they, they hit and they pitched all in the same World Series, and they they beat the best the best team of the decade. We had uh, Mike Kingery on the show prior, 
And he was uh, on the 86 Royals, but he was uh, part of their minor league organization. And he mentioned uh, Brett Saberhagen. And Scott, you mentioned Saberhagen. This was Saberhagen's on year because he was an every other year type of pitcher. Uh, you know, 86, he had some injuries and had a down year. But uh, Saberhagen, absolutely amazing uh, that year. Mike, let me, let me ask you, um, very good pitching staff. That's something we definitely have in common with all these teams tonight. But uh, you can tell me about the team, but my biggest question for you about this is I'm looking at the four teams tonight. They have great players, but is George Brett maybe the greatest position player we're talking about with all four teams? Because we know he did it clean uh, other than a little pine tar <laughs> incident. But, uh, you know, clean. He did it clean. Uh, we can't say that about everybody on the A's. You know, the Mets had a lot of drug issues going on as well. Uh, so just your, your thoughts on that and, and the Royals and home. Well, unless I'm forgetting something, I mean, absolutely. George Brett was a tremendous player. I mean, golly, one of the best. I, I mean, you know, without forgetting somebody else, I'm sure I am forgetting somebody else, but I would say Ricky Henderson or, or George Brett. Um, great players. And I think he was, you know, he was such a, a, a leader and such a good hitter. And, and we mentioned, we're talking about the Royals. I mean, they got there and they won the World Series. How they did it, I don't know. Because I mean, yes, great pitching, and they and they and they got there and got it done. I'm not quite sure they were better than the Cardinals that year, but a, a lot of things can happen in a series. And, and when you look on paper, like you mentioned, with with, with Lebrant and Saberhagen and Danny Jackson and Bud Black and Gubaza and Quisenberry out of ten, you kind of say, how how do you not how do you not win more than 91 games? I'm almost shocked that they've only won 91 games. They must have had some pretty good competition during the season, uh, because I'm looking at their pitching stats. And they weren't leaders in any really any categories, but on paper, I mean, golly, look at these guys and wow, I'd like to have those pitchers with the Quisenberry coming out of the pen. Yeah. So, but to answer your question quickly, I, I absolutely agree with you. George Brett was pretty special, you know. Paul, Paul, you're my uh, you're our, you're our best baseball guy of the the guys that I have on these shows as far as playing goes. Uh, I know it's not involving the World Series, but what what were your thoughts on that pine tar incident? I I thought it was blown out of proportion. Well, I'd have to go to somebody who could tell me what advantage that gives you to hit the ball better. I mean, it's you know what that rule that you know there's got to be a rule in place, I guess, for it. But if you have it a little higher, wasn't that the deal? Right, it was a little too high on there. So what does that make it so that you can hit? better i've asked that before i haven't thought about this in years though because i remember seeing when i was a young boy that dude lose his shit over that but i asked over and over again and i've never gotten a good answer and i'm i'm happy to have somebody educate me because maybe i'm wrong mike what do you, you think know, you know if you don't mind me saying something that's one yeah, of my ahead. pet peeves about baseball is inconsistencies i i agree with you paul that how does it help you but I guess the underlying theme is that was the rule. Why that was a rule, I have no idea. I mean, the pine tar can only go so high up. Why? But if you're going to make that rule, you better make sure every single guy that comes to the plate does that. And I don't think, you know, I know Billy Barton called him on it. Why, why doesn't the umpire calling every single guy up there going, oh, you can't use that bat, you can't use that bat? It's the inconsistencies. And, and then, you know, we, we talk about, the, I know maybe we'll talk about the Hall of Fame later on. It drives me bananas. If we're going to attack one guy, let's attack them all. Either leave them all alone or attack everybody. So I agree with you. It's crazy. 
What the hell's that to do with me throwing a pitch and guy knocking out of the park because there's pine tar in the back? We got we got to remember. I mean, the only reason that everyone remembers that case is because George went nuts. You know, he came running and dug out with his arms flailing and his hair flying and his you know everything going crazy and bumping the umpire and you know if the umpire had just tossed him out and I won't say like normal people or most normal people, most guys would have obviously been mags or thrown out of the game. But a lot of people, I don't think, would have gone haywire like like George did. And that's really the highlights. Every time you see the highlights, you see George going nuts in, right. uh, for the call. So <laughs> that's what that's the memorable part for sure. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to our final team tonight. That's going to be the 84 Detroit Tigers, led by manager Sparky Anderson, of course, who, uh, you know, was famous for that big red machine over there in Cincinnati. So we got five all-stars on this team. 104 wins, that was the best ever for the Detroit Tigers, which is kind of hard to believe. Uh, you know, they had a lot of good teams through the years. 35-5 uh, and five after the first 40 games. So after that, they could kind of just mail it in. <laughs> and they still managed 104 wins. Um, I think that's second best tonight, the 104 wins, right behind the Mets. So um, pitching-wise, you got Cy Young winner Willie Hernandez. He was also the AL MVP. 32 saves and 33 attempts, quite impressive. Um, Jack Morris was the, the the best starter on that team. I mean, that could be argued, actually, but he's a Hall of Famer. Got a no-hitter his first game that season. Started 10-1, and had a little decline after that the rest of the season, but still very solid. Then you got all-star pitcher Don Petrie, 18-8. and He had the lowest ERA for the team's starters. Um, and then you, you look at middle relief which I want to point out because we got Mike Trombley on tonight. Middle relief here. We got um, we got Aurelio Lopez. So he was 10-1 and one with a 2.94 ERA in middle relief. Can't stress how important that is once your starters go out, get that middle relief in there before you get to the, you know, the MVP Cy Young winner closer there in, in Willie Hernandez. Um, so I'm trying to prove that my team is better than all yours. So I'm going to throw these little stats here. Of the teams that we're talking about tonight, the Tigers are the best, have the best team batting average by almost 10 percentage points. Um, the most homers by almost 40, and the most runs scored by almost 50. So that's, I put them as the best hitting team tonight. Fielding, we got 127 errors, which that tied the Royals out of the teams we're talking about tonight as the best. And their 979 fielding percentage as a team is second to only the Royals who are at 980. So if I got all my stats right, there's some stuff there. Um, so they had a great regular season. They go into the playoffs. They beat the Kansas City Royals, who would be in the World Series the next year. They swept them 3-0. Um, obviously, that was best best of five back before they were doing the, the, the seven games in the first round there. And they take out the Padres four games to one. It was never really that much of a series. Padres took game two, but then after that, it was just kind of a route. Um, so I think the Tigers, I, I, would, I would take them over most of these teams. There was just stars all around the field, much like the Mets had stars all around. But you got Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker, Chet Lemon was an all-star that year, Daryl Evans, great DH, Lance Parrish behind the plate, all-star catcher. And and Kirk Gibson, I mean, we he came up a little bit earlier when he was with the Dodgers. He's famous for that home run, but he was a much better player when he was with Detroit than he was when his body was broken down there with the Dodgers. And then, gosh, when he got to the Pirates in the 90s, I, the guy could barely walk. 
but hats off to him. He kept going. But I would take the Tigers over all of them. So, Mike, your, your, your thoughts on the Tigers. Um, as mentioned, all-stars all around. Hall of Fame manager, Sparky Anderson. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on this on this team? Well, I, I, the more the more you look at the Tigers that year, the more I become a believer. I mean, golly, that's they're solid. I mean, you talk about I mean, you know, Trammell Hall of Famer, Whitaker's probably gonna be a Hall of Famer. Gibson, he's, he's in. Whitaker's in. Whitaker's in. Yeah, no, he's not. No, he's not. No, I thought he got in on the, the Veterans Committee. Uh, no, oh, no, okay. so, no. All right, never mind then. Not sure. So anyway, um, but anyway, like you said, Gibson. I'm looking at the stats of Chet Lemon, solid. Daryl Evans, and then the pitching. You know, Morris Petrie had great years. I mean, the amazing part is the middle reliever. This kind of hits home for me. How do you really Lopez, 10 and 1, how do you pitch 137 innings and not start a game? It's incredible. Um, so, you know, the more you look at this, and I guess what we're talking about today is the best team. I mean, God, the more I'm looking at this, this is a team. This, this, this is, a, you know, every part of it from the starting pitching to Willie Hernandez is one of the best seasons ever by a closer. Um, and they were solid throughout. You, you know, if you kind of want to punch holes before you look at the stats, saying, "Well, they're you know they're good hitters, but they're not great hitters." But like you said, they have two seventy one as a team. Uh, they scored a ton of runs. I know you know pitching in Old Tiger Stadium was not you don't have to hit it very far to get it out of there, but you still you got to pitch in there too. So it's like I said, the more you look at it, then the more impressive they become. And I'm uh, a big fan of this team. Yeah, and then you guys are correct. I apologize, Whitaker is not in the Hall of Fame. Looks like in 2020, the Modern Baseball Era Committee had him on the ballot, and uh, he fell short. So my bad on that right there. That's a shame. Right. <laughs> he, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, gosh, Rookie of the Year, five All-Stars. I think he's got gold gloves. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, ridiculous. I, we've had prior shows where we talk about how are these guys not getting in the Hall of Fame. So, but uh, – uh, Brian, Detroit Tigers, your, your your quick thoughts on them. I mean, Kirk Gibson, he's famous for the home run like we talked about, but Kirk Gibson was uh, – he, he could be up there possibly in Hall of Fame balloting, but he's not. Yeah, well, I mean, what really jumps out at me at this you – know, for this team is the you – know, you mentioned a Whitaker and Trammell at, at second base and short. I mean, that was really, really solid for a very long time, and I – I don't recall the stats off the top of my head, but I think that was like one of the one of the top ever, you know, uh, uh, double play combinations, um, you know, in the history of baseball. So that's that jumps out to me, right? Very strong, right down the middle. Well, before we move into our vote, shout out to uh, the '88 Dodgers who almost made the show tonight, <laughs> but they replaced Pan there at the last minute. So, um, and then I, I know that uh, Mike, you wanted to. You wanted to throw a team in there you thought should have been on tonight's list? Cardinals. Cardinals. There you go. And as Scott mentioned earlier, he, he thinks they were the team of the decade. So let's move into our vote tonight. Cannot vote for your own. Paul, you're up first. Um, Man, it's, it's close. I'll, I'll do the Mets. I, I'd love to see him play my represented A's. I wish that could happen, but I'll, go, I'll do the Mets. Okay. Brian. Well, yeah, I mean, 88, it almost did happen, but the, the Mets ran into the, the red-hot Dodgers there. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with the A's on this one. I mean, that that team was just, I mean, the Bash brothers. The, the, and then, as Mike said, the, you know, the, the pitching staff. And then I think maybe the most important part of that team was Ricky Henderson. I mean, what a, I mean, the greatest leadoff hitter of all time. 
So, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Scott? Well, I might have to uh, go with the um, uh, not the team I sort of argued for, but I guess the 84 Tigers. Um, you know, like like you said, the guys at the middle, the middle of Diamond, Diamond's the important one, right? And they had they had the guys up the middle with Whitaker and Trammell and, and center field and catcher and I can't remember their names, but those guys and uh, um, and some great pitching. So let's go with the 84 Tigers, 84 World Series Tigers. So I, I listened to your guys tonight and I was beforehand on teetering between the, the A's and the Mets. Um, the A's were my favorite team growing up even though I lived in Pittsburgh, but uh, gosh, it just, I don't know if they did it clean. I, I kind of assume they don't because of what we found out in later years. And, you know, that, that bugs me. That bugs me a lot. So I think I'm giving my vote to the Mets because of that. Um, Mike, let's, let's go to you. Who are you uh, voting for? You know, when you first asked me to come on here today and, and, knew what we were talking about, and I was thinking, going, what's, what's my gut reaction? And I would have said Mets or A's. Then as I started looking at the stats and, and really what uh, – I'm going with Tigers. And, and I'm going with Tigers because maybe partly because I'm a Red Sox fan don't want to believe the Mets actually won the World Series. I blame Calvin <laughs> – Chir- I don't blame Bill Buckner. I blame Calvin Chiraldi for that one. 0-2 – 0-2 on one guy and 1-2 on two other guys. You can't get it done. They, they should have won. But um, I'm going with the Tigers only because I, I think about a team, and they were a team. They had Trammell and Whitaker up the middle and, and everything you wanted in a team and closers and starters, and and they rolled through it. So I'm going with the Tigers, 84. All right, so that's two votes for the Tigers, two for the Mets, and one for the A's. So when we have a tie, the tiebreaker goes to the special guest vote. He voted for the Tigers, so... I'll take the vote. Yeah. <laughs> Race, World Series winner of the 80s, Legacy Battles. We've got the 1984 Detroit Tigers. Let's move into our Q&A here tonight for Mike. Uh, oh, wow, I got the win. It's been a long time since I won a show. Um, Didn't you tell me to vote for him? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't won a show in a long time, so it's good. Um, all right, so let me, let me ask you here. Um, as a reliever... What are your thoughts on today's game with the fifth starter a lot of times now being full of relief pitchers? They call them an opener, and then they just bring in relievers all the way through. And, and how do you think you would have adjusted to having to be an opener? Um, golly, it, 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 that's a tough one because it, it's tough to watch baseball in that respect. I'm, I'm not a fan of I used to I mean, like every – I'm a baseball purist guy. I love to see the starter go deep into the game, and, and, and it's getting shorter and shorter every starter. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how I like that, um, how I perform. I mean, I guess if you got to do what you got to do, um, I think I get used to it. I, I, I joke that when I was early in my career, I was a starter, but I was more of a short starter because I pitched so damn bad. Um, so they made me a reliever. But it was just, uh, you know, the way the game's going, um, I think you see in the playoffs, hey, I'm from whatever gets the hitters out and whatever works, I'm okay with, you know, and, and every team's different. So to, for a hitter to see the pitcher less and less makes it tougher on the hitter. So I, 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 I see how it's going, you know. I think that's the way of the future. 
And also these pitchers are 100% every single pitch. They can't pitch. They can't throw 120 pitches like they used to. Right. So. Scott. Yeah. I got a, I got a bunch of questions. We'll just go one there. We'll just give you one right now. Um, 90, 96 was your best season, correct? Um, I would say my best season was 98. Okay. Yeah. What? What made it click? What made it your best season? Like, what worked for you that year that didn't work other years? Um, honestly, it was uh, the split finger fastball, my forkball. I was when I came up with the Twins. I always had. I never a hard thrower. I was a pretty hard thrower in the minor leagues and came up. But over the years, you know, my fastball was going down and down. I was not a hard thrower. But I always had good breaking stuff. And I had a good, real good slider when I first came up. But just like a lot of young pitchers, they got through the league the first, second time. Once the hitters started seeing it. Um, I was actually sent back to AAA in 94 for a month, 95, then a strike and, and part of 96. And I started throwing a split finger fastball and that made all the difference. You saw me, I was a stat wise from 94, 95, and then 96 through 98 or 99. I was a different pitcher. I mean, I threw all splits. Rick Aguilera helped me uh, develop a great split finger fastball and how to, how to use it as a uh, a get me over pitch strike and then use the fork ball when two strikes that made all the difference. My fork ball maybe made my career for me. Right. So. Uh, I understand you have a funny story about your first major league check in Kirby Puckett. Yes. And, um, and can you, can you tell us that story and can you tell us what it was like to play with Kirby? Yeah. Well, that's a good story. He was one of those guys where, just I'm very fortunate to play with him to got to know him and he was a funny guy he he just he was just good for major league baseball he was good with the with opposing fans that got on him he just had this wit about him that made you love him uh but Kirby Puckett uh great story so 1992 and again I'm a kid from western Massachusetts never thought I was gonna play one day of professional baseball so I get called up in 92 and, and I'm walking on eggshells because I'm scared to death well, it would get paid every two weeks. So I get my first in, in Minnesota. Tom Kelly made a, a point of he handed out the checks to people and he'd give some comments like, oh, you pitch shitty this week. And, you know, you stink and you don't deserve this money and whatever it is. So he'd have the check. So I'm sitting in my locker with my major league check, my first major league check. And Pocket comes over and, and for a slight moment, you know, he, he looked at me, he goes, first big league check, huh? And I said, yeah. And I was very proud of myself. I was happy. I was like, God, this is all the money in the world to me right now. And I was almost for a slight second, I'm like, hey, that was pretty cool of him, man. You know, come over and acknowledge. And so he looked at me, he says, Mike, never forget this moment. This is a big moment right here. That's, I'm like, that's pretty cool, Puck. Well, he takes out a wad of money about this big and says, you want me to cash it for you? And I go, son of a, uh, but that was Puck. That was just way of him acknowledging my first check. I mean, you know, paying attention to Mike Tromley was such a kick for me, but then to, to rid me a little bit, was just solid. So he was a really, really good guy. Um, very fortunate. We lost him way too early, but he was a good man for baseball. Yeah, we did lose him too early. That was a yeah. shame. Paul. Yeah, my first question is more of a technical one. Uh, to piggyback off what Scott was saying, I read about your split finger. I read that you – went to the minors and it was kind of like something you developed to, to give you a leg up. So that's my question. It, it, did that come about on your own or did you get advice to do, to develop that pitch? And then did that end up being your go-to, your most comfortable pitch? Um, well, interesting story. When I was in, I, I threw a split in college a little bit and fooled around with it. 
I, again, I didn't know how to pitch. I was just kind of fooling around with different pitches, a slider, a curveball, a two-seamer, four-seamer, all this stuff, a cutter. So I, I threw a split a little bit in college and abandoned it because I was roommates with Denny Nagel in the minors. And I saw how effective his changeup was. I'm like, you got to teach me that. So I started throwing a changeup. So I was throwing fastball, slider, changeup. And then, um, you know, over the years, it worked for a little while, like I said, early in my career. But then I started getting banged around a little bit, sent down the minors, and I had to reinvent myself. So I, I thought to myself, hey, what if I go back to the split, make my slider into more of a curveball, because my split and my slider were the same speed. So I slowed up my slider, made it more of a slurve, and threw the split. And, and like I said, Aguilera helped me a lot, and there's no question. It was my go-to pitch. If it was up to me, I, I'd never throw another pitch other than the split. And listen, I was not the best pitcher in the world, and I'm pretty think I'm a pretty humble guy. But there were times where I'm on the mound, and when the split worked, they couldn't hit it. And I'm talking about, I remember pitch facing Will Clark and Pudge Rodriguez and guys like that. And Mike Trombley thinks they can't hit it. Split's a pretty damn good pitch. You know what I mean? It was working. It's good. When it's not working, not so good. But when it's, it was absolutely my go-to pitch. Do you think that prolonged your career? Uh, it made my career. It didn't prolong it. It actually okay. ended it quicker. But it may, but put this way, if I didn't throw a split, I'd be home quicker. So it it made me be successful in the big leagues, but it didn't hurt my arm. It just took so much off my fastball that I got to 34 years old and I couldn't throw a fastball hard enough to keep everybody off the plate. Um, so it it kind of did damage to my fastball miles per mm -hmm. hour. So if that makes sense. So. Uh yeah, Mike, um, you were traded, or no, see the question there. More current question for you. The, um, uh, the, the rules they're talking about putting in soon, this year, next year, the bigger bases, the pitch clock, maybe even robot umps. What do you, they all seem to be against the pitcher, uh, those, those things, um, you know, or the, uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think about the bigger bases, pitch clock, robot, robot umps, any of those topics? I don't think the bigger bases are that bad of an idea. I think that, that's, uh, I'm not quite sure about the, the security of the game and why that's being put in there, but I'm not against that. I do think the game is too slow. I think it's too boring. Um, uh, but I think it's a contrasting argument that we're, we're trying to make the game quicker. We're going to have a pitch clock, but we can review more calls. I don't understand. And so if the argument is we want to get the calls right, you know, I say this all the time in football. If you want to get the calls right, let's review every damn call. But do we want to get them right or we want to get the game faster? So in baseball, it's this, you know, back and forth stuff that I'm not quite sure where, where they are because if someone put a pitch clock on me, and, I, and I'm going to use an example of pitching a Nomar Garcia party, get up there and do his batting glove thing and take forever to get in the box. What happens is there's a pitch clock, and so i got to throw a pitch in a certain amount of time, but a bug goes in the hitter's eye. So what happens? Can he step out? Can he not step out? I mean, the pitch clock is going. I got to throw a pitch, but he's not ready. So there's going to be, I don't know if they'll ever implement that because there's so many ways around that. You're just making a way to beat the system. So I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. I do know that the game is a little slow, and but there's so much money involved. And every kid who's taking lessons now as we speak with their instructor is looking for that big pile of gold. For, for playing baseball and they'll do anything and everything to take a few more seconds to get in the box or throw the pitch. There's too much thinking going on, which is, I think a bad thing. So I don't know if it answered your question, but I'm not a big fan of some of the rule changes that are coming. So.
So it's good. It's good. Thanks. Brian. Well, I mean, you, you were considered, you know, one of the better setup men during your time. Um, but what is the mindset for a setup man and how does it differ from a starter's or a closer's mindset? Um, I wasn't happy about going to the bullpen when I first did, but I was much more suited to go to the bullpen. And what I liked is every single game, I could go to the ballpark and have a chance to pitch. And I took great pride in my, my arm still to this day. I'm going to knock on wood. My arm never hurt a day in my life. So as long as I could, you know, not tired arm or something like that, I could go to the ballpark and be part of that. And once I became more of a, an established setup man, uh, I knew that when the game was close and we had a chance to win, that I was going to get a phone call down in the bullpen. I liked that a lot. So swallow my pride, realizing, geez, I'm really not suited to be a starter or didn't throw hard enough to be a closer. I really, you know, grasp the idea that, hey, this is my role. This is what I'm good at. And I think I can help the team. And, uh, but going to the ballpark every day, knowing I had a chance to pitch was a terrific thing. You know, as a starter, you go and pitch one bad day, you got to be four more days to prove yourself. You right. can't really rest too much on the good and the bad of being a, a, a reliever. So, oh. I'm looking at your rosters that you played for, and I think it was the Twins, a name from my younger days stood out to me, Scott Erickson. When I was younger, you know, he, he was like one of the first guys that got media attention for, I think, what, there's some licorice involved, black socks. Was he the looniest? Did you have some loony habits or superstitions, or, or was he kind of blown out of proportion? You have another, another name you're thinking of. Well, according to me, I don't think I'm wacky. I'm about the most straight-laced guy. Wilbraham Mass went to Duke University. Golly, you couldn't get any more boring than me. Uh, Scotty Erickson, I will tell you this. He was Superman. He was chiseled out of stone, a good-looking guy who had the blinders on. I mean, he was filthy. I mean, he was, you know, you talk about Rivera throwing one pitch. He could go in there with one pitch. That that's, that slider, I mean, that sinking fastball here just went wham. You know, it, it was incredible. You know, he had some arm trouble, but he was a big, strong guy. But he was, I remember, you know, he had a, a deal, I think, with Adidas. I think with Adidas or Nike. But he blacked out his shoes. So Nike said, listen, I'm not going to give you free cleats when the people on TV can't see the swoosh or what the hell kind of spikes you're wearing. So he had to keep part of it on the back of his cleat white so the people on TV could tell what kind of spikes he was wearing. So, yes, he was a little different, but he was not by, by any means. There were some wackier people out there. Um, Turk Wendell is a good buddy of mine, and he was through the roof wacky. <laughs> we had Marty Cordova on the show. How, was, did he have any superstitions? Uh, he didn't like losing at cards. He'd bitch about losing at cards all the time. No, I'll tell you, Marty and I were really close, and he was one of the funniest guys I've I've been around. He was, I'll tell you a quick story. This is kind of a cute story. So w with the Twins, and I'm, I don't want to go on and on, guys. Just cut me off. Oh, it's fine. No, no. So with the Twins, it was a big, I mean, every team's like this. We all get together and gamble what, the, let's say, the Masters is going on. So you would get together with a couple other guys, and you'd, you'd have a group. You'd have a group name. So it was me and Rick Aguilera and Pat Mahomes were part of our group. We were, instead of Oreo, we were Oro, because instead of going black, white, black, we were white, black, white. So we were the opposite of Oreo. So the, our name of our corporation was Oro. Okay. Well, Marty Cordova and Scott, uh, Scott Stahoviak and Rich Becker had a corporation that they bet, you know, Kentucky Derby or the March Madness, they bet together. So Tom Kelly was 
walked around a locker room one time, asked Marty Cordova. He said, hey, have you thought of a name for your corporation with Stahoviak and Becker? And uh, they said, no. Well, Mar- uh, Tom Kelly says, well, why don't you add your batting averages together and call yourselves a 400 club? <laughs> so Marty Cordova said to Tom Kelly, why don't you jump in with us? We'll call be the 500 club. He was just a funny guy. I mean, just shooting down people, quick-witted, good player. And again, you guys talk about a guy chiseled out of stone. That was Marty Cordova. Just a, a solid guy. Good teammate. Very good teammate. So we'll get you out of here with this tonight. Um, I'll kind of move it into a two-parter here. But uh, so 99, you, uh, you know, you filled in in the closer role there. You picked up 24 saves. Uh, you know, maybe tell me about that year a little bit. But then also, like, I just wanted to know your thoughts on this is the all-star game and, and middle relievers, other than, uh, was it Reminger with the Braves? I, I think it was. I don't ever remember them putting in middle relievers. It, do you have any idea why that is? And do you think that they should be in there? Uh, absolutely be in there. I, I thank Mariano Rivera because when he was the middle reliever, when he was a setup man for Wetland, he got all this attention. And listen, like I said, I, I, I don't need any pats on the back, but I, I still to this day, think I should have been in the 99 All-Star game. I think I started that year. It was either 98 or 99. Started the year, first 26 innings, I, I gave up no runs. Zero. I, I mean, golly, I was going to sail through the season and just have good stats. Um, but all of a sudden, because of Miron Rivera, middle relievers got more attention. And uh, then he became the closer. But I think absolutely the All-Star game was a player's a player and a DH is does his role. The middle reliever does his role. And I, like I said, I, that's one regret I had is I thought I should have made the all-star team over Ron Coomer. They had to take somebody from every team and they took Ron Coomer because they needed another hitter and not another pitcher. That's one of my regrets. I would like to say, Hey, when I'm on your show today, going all-star Mike Trombley sounds better than so, so middle reliever Mike Trombley. So <laughs> what the hell? Fair Can't have everything. Fair enough. Well, I'll remind everybody to hit uh, subscribe on whatever you're listening on. We want to thank Mike Trombley for coming on tonight. Thank you so much, Mike. Honored to have you here. Awesome, guys. Thanks. Awesome. So, everybody, thank you for watching. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, like I said, and we'll see you next time. Have a good night.